It has been a historic couple of weeks in Canadian soccer, and as a result, we are back here on the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and ahead on the show this week, we will talk Canadian Premier League expansion, breaking records, and the latest on Toronto FC. We will also have we also have another live show coming up on February 6th at Rivoli in Toronto, headlined by Luke Wilman, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell of TSN. Other panelists include Carmelina Moscato, Oliver Platt, Joshua Cloak, Asa Rahman and Laura Armstrong. Head over to homestandsports.com slash events to get tickets and get an insider's take on probably many of the topics we'll discuss on today's show. My guest for today from MLSsoccer.com is James Grassi. He'll help me dig through a grab bag of Canadian soccer topics. James, it feels like forever since we've talked. So, I'm, I mean, regardless of the show, I'm, I'm just pretty excited to talk soccer with you again today. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a pretty uh, eventful couple of weeks considering that, you know, we're still sort of in off-season form right here, just getting ready, stretching our legs, getting ready for a, for a busy year ahead. And, uh, you know, the news just keeps dropping fast. Yeah, certainly, certainly does at, at this time of year. And uh, as you said, we're in off-season form a little bit. So, so we'll go back on, on some topics that uh, maybe have broken in the past couple of weeks, but we haven't had a chance to, you know, fully digest on this show yet but uh one certainly that that i think is um is quite easy to make the the top of the show this week is of course the record-breaking uh moment for christine sinclair yesterday a canadian is now the all-time leading goal scorer in international soccer men's or women 185 goals for christine sinclair sinclair breaking the record previously held by abby wambach of the united states uh it's it's almost unfortunate that it had to happen in an 11 nothing victory over st kitts and nevis uh you know in a game that was kind of a foregone conclusion but uh in some ways that's very sinclair that it happened like that you know someone who um hasn't necessarily always drawn attention to herself but uh, you know has just put her head down and and um been able to accomplish something incredible in world soccer and um i think finally uh, a moment where she's getting what she's been due in 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 terms of recognition um certainly she's always gotten a a reasonable amount of recognition here in canada uh, although at the same time probably not the amount she deserves considering she's probably one of the the greatest athletes in our country's history but on the international stage now you know we're starting to see um uh, you know numerous numerous people from around the world uh underline what an incredible accomplishment accomplishment this is so um that's been very nice to see and uh you know james what do you make of a historic moment for for canadian soccer and soccer in general well it's been a long time coming you know i i think the last year or two we've all sort of been doing the countdown and following along and and trying to guess when it was that this moment would come and and as you said i think it's it's particularly nice to see to see Christine getting the recognition that she deserves, not just here in Canada, but uh, you know around the world for what's what's just absolutely a marvelous accomplishment. You know, the most goals ever in international soccer is it's one of those uh, it's one of those those uh, marks of a career that that not many players can even aspire to, and. and mm-hmm. As you said, you know, Christine hasn't always gotten the attention that she deserved, whether whether here at home or, or around the world. But, you know, for her name to be at the top of that list is just uh, it, it's just desserts for the work that she's put in over the years. Uh, you know, before we spoke, I was I was just going over that 
that five minute video that that the Canadian Soccer Association put together, uh, just sort of looking over her career with the national team, and you know the goosebumps that come out when you see some of those goals and you hear some of the voices that that have called those goals over the years. Our, our old friend Jerry Dobson and Nigel Reed and, and Luke Wildman and all those guys uh, getting their calls in, and you know it's one of those things that. I think one of the marvelous things about sports is that it, it's sort of the double-edged sword of you know when you're watching greatness, but but sometimes it doesn't quite sink in exactly what's happening in the moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, Canadian soccer fans have been so spoiled to watch Christine do what she does over the years. And and uh, for for us to have this moment where we can rightfully sort of, sort of crow about the accomplishments that she's made and... You know, the thing that's always struck me most about watching her play is, is that, you know, while she's capable of scoring some, some pretty spectacular goals, it's it's the way that she makes everything look so easy and so effortless. And the majority of her goals are, are you know, just, just her doing the work and just being in position to, to benefit when when things go the right way. And, and you know, the uh, the record-clinching goal, you know, wasn't one of those ones that'll be uh, celebrated in the highlights for how spectacular it was. She was pretty ridiculously wide open and just calmly slotted the ball past uh, past the St. Kitts and Nevis keeper there. But, you know, in a way that's sort of emblematic of, of the way Christine's gone about her career is just, you know, put your head down, do the work, be in the right places, and, and profit from the work when uh, when the chances come your way. Uh, as you said, you know, she's, she's not one that sort of loves the spotlight, and I thought it was very telling that you know afterwards when she's uh you know speaking about reaching this milestone that you know she goes to her her teammates past and present and she goes to her coaches past and present and just you know thanks them all for for uh you know the role they've played in, in her getting there and uh you know in the larger scheme of things i think i think Another thing about about Christine as the competitor that she is is that she would trade this record in a heartbeat for for a chance at a trophy for mm-hmm. to be lifting something to be celebrating with her team. It's it's one of those funny things about individual awards and in team sports where you know the accolades are nice and and nobody's going to turn away from them, but you know not everybody cares about whose name is in in lights and and who's holding what record and. I think it, in a way it's a little bit sad that Canada hasn't been able to to do more having one of the best players in the world and now the top goal scorer of all time in their team and, and you wonder what could have been if things had gone a little differently in London or if things had gone a little differently when Canada hosted the the World Cup. But I mean, you know, Christine's had a marvelous career and... and uh, the, uh, the the sad fact is is that we're going to miss her terribly when she's gone and and perhaps we haven't made as much of, of having her be a, a star for Canada over the past decade plus as as we really should have. Yeah, I wonder how much, uh, you know, now now she almost called it a relief, um, how much this will kind of help Canada in their in their current Olympic qualifying in, in the sense that, you know, they, they no longer need to worry about this. The, the record's there. Sinclair has it now. Uh, it, you know, in, in many ways, I never think that was going to distract Christine Sinclair, but I, it has to be something that certainly the team was fully aware of and it was in the back of their head. So um, now they can kind of move forward from that and, and focus fully on the goal of, uh, you know, just getting to another Olympic Games, a, a tournament where certainly they've had all kinds of success in recent years. Uh, of course, uh, it's it's hard to 
um, really take much out of a game like that where Canada completely dominated. It probably won't be uh, that easy to take much out of the Jamaica game either, although Jamaica is one of those countries that's certainly taken major strides forward in, in the women's game. But uh, that Mexico game on Tuesday is likely the big one for Canada in terms of their semifinal opponent. You definitely want to avoid the United States uh, if you can in that semifinal that gets you into the Olympics. So, uh, you know, how big is that game and, and what are you looking for going forward from this Canadian team and a tournament where certainly they'll be expected to uh, to qualify for the Olympics, and you know, hopefully, uh, we'll get a chance to to kind of measure themselves against the best team in this region. Yeah, I think you have to say that um, if Canada were to not qualify for the Olympics, that would be a major disappointment. I, I think going into a tournament like this, that has to be your your goal, and sort of secondary to that is winning this competition itself. Although, you know, a, a player may may say it differently. They may say they want to win this competition, and they're not worried about about what what getting to a semifinal achieves you. But but I think that larger goal has to be uh, primary in the mind when it comes to. Uh, a qualification tournament like this uh, as you said I don't think you can take too much out of an 11 nothing win and and that's sort of the nature of these early stages you know the women's game is, is getting better in leaps and bounds every single year but you know I think we'd be pretty hard pressed we'd, we'd all be pretty surprised if if of the four teams left in the end Canada Mexico and the U.S. are not three of those spots mm-hmm. and then it's just sort of a question of who ends up being the fourth team I think we're expecting it to be Costa Rica um and then you know how how the ball sort of fall if Canada and Mexico, uh, you know that match as you said will very much be deciding who we presume will be meeting the U.S. in in the second round and and who won't and so it's going to be a massive game you know Mexico didn't look too impressive from all reports in, in their opener and uh, we'll sort of we'll sort of have to see but it's it's nice to get a game out of the way before before you have the really pivotal game you know. Sometimes there are some nerves going into this these sort of high pressure situations, and you know for Canada to get their scoring boots on, get the record out of the way. Although I suspect they didn't really mind having that in the back of their minds. I think it was more of they were tired of as- answering questions about it from the yeah, likes of us. Enough. So, <laughs> so for for everybody to be riding the positivity from that into this crucial game against Mexico can only be good. But I think. Uh, you know they'll be relishing a chance to to match up against the U.S. and and for Christine to be celebrated on that that big stage of a Canada U.S. game uh, the way that she will be. You know we saw Alex Morgan and Abby Wambach and, and a bunch of others sort of congratulating Christine on her accomplishment and it, it's shaping up to be a nice tournament. But uh, you know to go back with, to the point that I started at, I think anything less than than securing a, a spot in the Olympics would be a, a massive uh, disappointment. Well, from one bit of history to another, the Canadian Premier League announcing yesterday that they have their first ever expansion side. Soccer is back in Ottawa with Ottawa joining the league as an expansion side, uh, Atletico Ottawa, if the reports are to be believed. Um, Of course, that being related to their partnership with Atletico de Madrid, uh, the big Spanish side, uh, one of you know one of the biggest clubs in the world, uh, which makes this certainly exciting from that regard. Um, the public unveiling for this club will be held on February 12th at TD Place in Ottawa. Um, honestly, I don't know where to start in terms of getting excited for this. I, I mean, you've got the geography, uh, having the nation's capital included. You've got the ownership group and, and just the balance of having an eighth team in the league and um, what, what that means for scheduling and everything else. Uh, this, this seems like a massive step forward for the league and um, one that's 
you, you know, any fans or, or players or anyone else I've talked to in, in recent weeks uh, about this. Uh, everyone's just thrilled to, to have this happen. And, um, you know, I, I guess kind of put aside some of the some of the uh, less nice history that, that certainly um, the Ottawa and the Campiel have had in, in you know, the, the, the inaugural season. Yeah, I'm sure at some point we'll get we'll get some more of the details. Maybe when the league's about 20 years old or something like that, we'll hear the story of of what really sort of went on here and and everything uh, everything behind uh, the last two years or so of wrangling that that mm-hmm. we've gotten little glimpses of. But you know, I think I think where I start out with this news is just you know being so happy for the fans in Ottawa. You know, there's nothing worse than than supporting a team for for the decade or however long it is that they've been there. I know it's not quite a decade yet, but um, to be supporting that team and then for them to just blink out in in, in uh, the snap of of, uh, of the fingers of the way that they did, the way that it came so out of left field and and just the uncertainty that that leaves in, in a fan base that had you know had endured some some tough times and enjoyed some good times and sort of felt like uh, you know soccer was was on the upswing in this country. The history of North American soccer has always been one of you know one step forward, two steps back, and the number of clubs that have you know existed for a couple of years and, and laid the groundwork for future success only to sort of cease operations a couple of years later and, and you lose all that forward momentum so the fact that we were able to find some sort of a resolution so quickly for everybody there um i think is is perhaps the feel-good story out of this and then you know you top in all those larger all those larger aspects that you mentioned the partnership with a a massive club like atletico you throw in uh you know that there'll be a a level playing field of eight teams and and hopefully a balanced schedule we're still sort of waiting for that part to come out and you know now the sort of challenge is is um they have about three months to put a team together and and put a put a product on the field and to get all their ducks in a row and and one of the benefits of of bringing in an ownership group that's so intimately familiar with with how the game goes is they do sort of have a a bit of a head start institutional wise in terms of having the knowledge in house and everything like that but this is going to be a whole new venture for them so you know the the clock is ticking uh, they better be uh they better be a coming up with some player signings uh, pretty shortly before uh before the season gets underway yeah certainly that's an interesting uh, aspect of it that you you know kind of gets kind of gets forgotten in all of this that uh you know considering it was announced so late they kind of uh, they have such a short runway here. Um, you know, it's just a couple months to, to put a team together and what that will mean for them. But, um, you know, with that being said, we, we've seen, you know, the clock's ticking on a number of teams now, and we've seen a lot of movement within the league over the past couple of weeks, um, uh, both internally and, of course, externally is, is one of the exciting I guess storylines that's been emerging from this offseason is the number of players that um, have been leaving the league for for opportunities uh, elsewhere, and you know that, that when you say something like that, it sounds like it's it's a negative, but certainly I think that's that's part of what this league is set up to do is is find players, and you know MVP Tristan Borges is kind of the the headline example here, but certainly Joel Waterman uh, will be would be a big one as well. Find players, um, you know, and give them a platform to to show what they can do so that they can then go on um, and 
play, you know, at the level probably they were deserving of. And um, I, I guess also from from an economic standpoint, you know, the money that uh, certainly Forge recouped for uh, Tristan Borges, uh, among other moves. Um, this, this is exciting that in, in year one of this league, it's already uh, proving to be what it said it would be and, and giving these Canadians an opportunity to, um, to, to really show that they are capable of playing at some of the highest levels across the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, Borges in particular and, you know, Waterman to, to perhaps a less, uh, a less uh, you know, European-based uh, mm-hmm. based way. It's very much a, the proof of concept. That, that was what this league was set up to do. It was set up to, to find Canadian players who had, you know, slipped through the cracks isn't quite the right word for it, but, but maybe hadn't had that chance to really sort of stretch their legs and show what they could do over the course of a, of a season at a, at a high level of competition and... And for for so many of them to uh, to have excelled in this first year, and, and for so many of them to have um, made the most of this opportunity, you know, Borgers going back to Belgium, a place where where I know he had a a, a good little stint before coming back and, and mm-hmm. working his way back there, and and coming into a club that that is very high on him and, and that looks like they're going to give him the opportunity that he needs you know Joel Waterman going to Montreal I think is, is a fantastic move um, in terms of you know it was easy to see what Borges did in terms of scoring goals and, and winning trophies and, and all that sort of thing and I think if you if you were sort of you know did a, did a head pull of which players are most likely to get a move I think Borges is a guy that would have been on the top of a lot of people's list but you know Waterman was a uh, was sneaky good in a way and and him joining Montreal sort of shows that uh you know people are paying attention to this league and and that a player who excels in their position even if they're not you know making headlines the way that Borges was will will see their talents recognized and will be rewarded for their hard work and uh, it's been a bit of a strange offseason. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't quite sure where Ryan Telford was going to end up. It sounds like he's heading over to Europe as well. And uh, I've been a little bit surprised at, at sort of some of the uh, some of the, the way that teams have gone about this. You know, having having watched MLS rosters turn over every year, we've sort of we've sort of noticed a trend in the last couple of years where. It wasn't uncommon back in the day for for a team to turn over like half their roster, three quarters of their roster, two thirds of their roster, and for yeah. a lot of new faces to come in every year. And you know, in recent years, the the value of consistency that you get from having players play together for two years, three years, four years, five years that that's often overlooked. But but in a league where finances are tight, that can be a real competitive advantage. And so. Heading into this offseason, I sort of definitely expected there to be some movement and some turnover in rosters, but the the lengths to which some teams have been willing to to turn things over have surprised me. I'm I'm looking at you in particular, Valor. That's uh, <laughs> that's you know, I guess in some ways, if if you're not successful, there's always going to be changes, and that's the nature of the game. But uh, for me, it's pretty telling that you know the three clubs that seem to be most confident in what they did last season are Forge, Cavalry, and York, and, and they're the three that are going to have that added consistency where a lot of these other teams are going to be looking to build chemistry uh, from the offset while, while those three teams, the three that coincidentally finished top three last year, um, have a little bit more uh, 
more to work with in their back pocket perhaps i i guess we sort of expected a certain amount of this you know teams were in a rush to fill out their rosters last year and maybe player a wasn't a great fit at this team but i expected we'd see a lot more well this guy did well enough for halifax but but maybe he's not quite a fit there so maybe he'll end up in valor and and, you know we still got a month or two uh, or three mm-hmm. before the season kicks off. So perhaps we'll still see some of that, but this wasn't exactly the way that I expected the offseason to pan out. No, and I guess a, a couple of things to that point, uh, w- one of which, uh, of course, like you said, we we have seen uh, in, certainly in MLS and across the soccer world, honestly, you know, you do see a, a decent amount of roster turnover uh, during off seasons. And I think one of the things that makes the Canadian Premier League's um, kind of turnover more jarring is the fact that all the contracts end on on the same day, uh, so the teams would be dumping like eight or nine guys at one time versus you know slowly moving them out over the course of a summer. So I think that that kind of played a factor in it in some ways. Although, like you said, some of the teams like Valor and um, and Halifax certainly moved out more than would be expected. But uh, I've been pretty excited in terms of the players that uh, have started coming into the league and and Valor. Um, you know, bringing in Brett Levis and Fraser Aird as two guys who, uh, certainly within the Canadian soccer and the Canadian national team circles, um, have made a good name for themselves and uh, are players with all kinds of experience. So that's exciting. Uh, Pacific FC, of course, uh, picking up Bustos, who was probably Valor's best player last year. Um, you know, what have you made of, of some of these moves and, and maybe some of the ones that you think could have a massive impact on, on what happens next season in the Canadian Premier League? Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun. You know, transfer season, silly season is always sort of fun, and it's a very hopeful time of year. And, you know, as uh, as a fellow longtime Canadian soccer watcher, I'm sure you're just as excited to see what Hanson Boakai can do in Edmonton. You know, that's one that I'm going to definitely yeah, be certainly. keeping my eye on. I definitely wanted to see more more from Randy Edwini Bones through this past year, and I'm hopeful that he lands somewhere else where he can, he can get himself fit and, and get himself some playing time. But... You know, every team has had has had some moves that I find pretty interesting. You know, Rigi and uh, Belon Goyette and Kanumbe joining Halifax. I think those are three that are really going to add add to the spine there. You know, Rigi's been a guy that's been uh, a little bit off the radar down in Phoenix the last couple of years, but but he's an exciting attacker and and somebody that I think will bring a lot to this league. Uh, Pacific, as you mentioned, Bustos. I, I like the pickup of Dixon from Ottawa and uh, mm-hmm. Mayor Jaguer as well, a, a couple of, of really solid defenders that'll add a lot of experience to that back line for a team that, you know, let some of their more experienced defenders leave in the offseason. As you mentioned, Herod and, and Levis or Levis, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name, to be honest, in Winnipeg. But, uh, and I, I also like what York has done with uh, the additions of Chris Manella and, and Michael Petrasso, you know, it was, uh, it was always going to be tough to to find ways to improve your team when you were keep returning so many guys but to pick up two such sort of experienced professional guys that can step in right away you know i think the petrasso signing was sort of an indication that that you know ryan telfer was looking elsewhere and and i'm curious to see what forge is going to do you know they have a pretty big tristan borges sized hole in in that team right now and you know there's a couple of names out there that we're all sort of looking at i think mobabuli is a guy that a lot of us uh a lot of us hardcores from uh from back in the day are very curious to see where he's going to show up but uh if i had to pick one move that i think is perhaps the most impactful i'm going to go with cavalry just sort of keeping Dom Zator and, and keeping Nico Pasquati in-house. You know, if they mm-hmm. had lost Waterman and Zator, 
And uh, you know that we're still not entirely sure where Atacubi is going to end up, and he was uh, he was another one of those understated stars for them last year. But just keeping those two guys means that things are going to tick over nicely there in Cavalry, and and uh, you know I'm getting pretty excited for the season to start. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds like April 11th is going to be the, the start of the season. Uh, the Atletico Madrid kind of maybe accidentally leaking that on, on their website. Um, so, yeah, not not too long now before um, we get another year of Canadian Premier League. And and certainly MLS is, is just around the corner now as well, uh, about a month now um, till, till the MLS season starts for, for Toronto FC and certainly earlier for some of the the clubs taking place in the CONCACAF Champions League as well. So um, we'll, we'll get a chance to, to maybe move towards some games and off of what's been uh, uh, certainly an intriguing offseason from Toronto FC. Uh, I know you, you mentioned in, in messages earlier this week it was probably more interesting than, than either of us thought it would be. Um, I guess central to that has been the, the designated player search. We always knew this was going to probably be um, the, the biggest story of the offseason. Um, but it's it seems at the moment um, like, like certainly the club is is slowing down in that regard. We knew they they tried to get business done very early on in the window, but uh, there's concerns about an under 23 rule that could be in place in 2021 um, in terms of the third designated player being younger, and you know even even the fact that uh, I know Ali Curtis mentioned there's I guess just more players in general available in the summer in the sense that. Uh, that's when the European offseason is and, and teams are less willing to lose players midway through their season, which makes sense. So um, definitely going to be interesting to see there because, of course, the, the Michael Bradley injury and the fact that Toronto FC will start this season without one of its designated players is uh, could could come through in a big way if they don't have two, uh, two designated player spots filled. Yeah, I... I, I don't really quite know where to go with with this angle, given that we, you know, we just saw the CBA that was announced today that they were going to extend the current one for another week or so as negotiations continue. And I always thought heading into the off season, this was going to be a way bigger factor than anybody was willing to talk about in terms of. You know, when you sign a designated player, you're not signing them for one year, and the way that that contract is structured, and the way that that affects your your cap budget going forward in, into years beyond this particular year was always going to make the idea of of making a long-term play like that with the uncertainty of not knowing where the CBA was going to land like, nearly impossible you know we've mm-hmm. um, we've gone uh, you know we haven't spoken to, to the club in a couple of days they're down in Florida now and preseason's always a little bit strange because you sort of you sort of see the guys and, and talk to a bunch of people and then you don't see anybody for a week or ten days and and you know, before their first game in San Jose, they're going to have spent nearly a month in LA. So we'll be we'll be up at the training ground tomorrow, uh, Friday, and then back on Monday. But other than that, you know, it's just going to be a couple of conversations by phone, and and uh, so it's always a little bit strange getting revved up for the season like this. The the two sort of messages that emerged from our first chance were, or as you said, you know. Ali Curtis learned last year how tough it can be to to pry to pry a prized player away from a team with the Alejandro Pozuelo saga, and you know how many miles he frequent flyer miles he ended up racking <laughs> up, going back and forth and back and forth, just trying to get that deal over the line. And so, 
if if there's a, any uncertainty whatsoever, is it better to to wait until you know exactly what it is that the CBA, what parameters you're going to be operating in, and that gives you the best chance to find something that works? You know, I think one factor that we we all need to keep in mind is that you know by signing Pozuelo last year and re-signing Josie Altador, they have two DPs who are who are very much on long-term deals right now. It's not like one of them has a contract that's expiring next season, and so you have that flexibility were the rules to change that that you could make a move and, and you never want to be signing a player and then having to, having to jettison them a year later and, and mm-hmm. potentially having to leave a bunch of money on the table for that very reason. So it's, it, it's tricky. You know, Ali, Ali last week sort of said that, you know, Perhaps midseason might be the smarter play, but that they were they were kicking a lot of tires and they were having conversations with a bunch of people. And you know, Greg Venny was pretty adamant that he wanted a player in as soon as possible, and that there were there was an added benefit to having somebody with the group from this early on and giving them those few extra months to sort of acclimate to uh, to both their new home and to the new league. You know, we saw a little bit of that with Erickson Gallardo, who who didn't really manage to get his feet under him with all the life changes that were going on when he made the move from Venezuela to Toronto midway through last year. Um, never mind the fact that, that he and his, his wife had their first child around the same time as well, which was another big change. But I think looking at the TFC roster, they're pretty happy with what they have. Uh, you know, going into the offseason, some secondary scoring was very much what they were looking for. And, and you know, whether that's a second striker, whether that's a, a wide man who can cut in and, and do some damage from there. Uh, I think that's sort of the mold that they're looking at for uh, for this third designated player role. But mm-hmm. if, if that's what they need, I still sort of think that there might be some value in, in looking internally. You know, they signed Jaden Nelson, as we'll talk about. They signed Jaquiel Marshall-Ruddy as well, two young guys that – you know, we'll see what they can add this year. But, uh, you know, there's another guy at TFC2 that I know that both of us are very high on uh, in Jordan Peruzza, who might be able to to be a, a solid backup for, for Josie Altador in, in the sparse minutes that are going to be there for a, a third string forward. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the uh, I know it's sort of blown over at this point, but one of the other main headlines coming out of uh, certainly, the the early part of training camp is is this Josie Altador, Michael Bradley situation. With of course Josie Altador calling out the club for for the way they handled Michael Bradley's injury, and and certainly not the first time that Josie has has spoken publicly against the club uh, when it comes to to medical staff issues. Um, of course, this was kind of escalated by the fact that former Toronto FC striker Hercules Gomez tweeted out that the club was shopping Altador as a result of these comments. Uh, well, I just wanted to get your your thoughts on on this, and and I, you know, I, I guess yes, a, a moment that probably worried Toronto FC fans, considering what we saw last off season, and and with some of the public comments made by you know a, a former designated player. Yeah, I'll I'll start with with the the Herc Gomez comments first. I think, and um, I think the likelihood. I'll, I'll put it like this: TFC is probably always fielding and listening to offers for for Josie Altador's services mm-hmm. um, how serious any of that is whether whether somebody's striking out in the media is enough to throw whatever plans you have for the upcoming season out the window a month and a half before the year kicks off that seems to me like it's a pretty big stretch I, I'm not saying that they weren't definitely listening to offers because I think that's something they do all the time but whether that was really a possibility or or just sort of a, a reaction and and I think 
I think when Josie when Josie came out, uh, I had no idea what to make of it. I don't know what what problem it solves lashing out in the media like that. I don't know who who you're hoping to address or who you're sending a message to or exactly what's going on with that. And it's uh, it's always difficult to try and get in the head of somebody. Um, but I think what I took away from it was was sort of the rawness of the situation. You know, um, Michael Bradley's a really important player to this team. We saw that, and there was a fair bit of uncertainty heading into the offseason in terms of what the future held for him. And it took a little longer than they intended it to. But but when he decided that he'd be coming back and it would be on a TAM deal, freeing up this third DP spot, um, that was that was a real positive for the club and a real a real sign that that whatever this current era of TFC that, that we're experiencing right now was going to keep ticking over, at least for the foreseeable future. And, and then I think the real, the real shock in this ankle injury, I think we all knew that that something wasn't right with Michael. He spoke after the game Mm -hmm. a little bit about, about the injury. And, and I think I viewed Josie's, Josie's words as, as more of a, a rawness at at the the surprise of this their season starting out on this sour note you know um the club only found out that michael would need to have surgery for this injury two days or so before before uh it became public knowledge and the way that it sort of the way that it sort of came about i can see how how that would ruffle a lot of feathers and it would leave a lot of people uncertain exactly what it was that happened and it's one of those ones where I don't know what the right move is. You know, if if you think the injury is injury X and the way to deal with that is by treatment, is by this certain treatment where you rest it and then you build it back up. And, and Michael was doing all of that. And if he's on course to return as expected and then when he's just a couple of days away from really opening it up to get into preseason, they, just, they discover something's not quite right and they do further investigation. Like, I just don't really know what the right course of action there was or or who could have done any better in this situation and so I don't know we were expecting it to be a pretty quiet start to the to the TFC season that they pretty much are returning the exact same team barring a a few faces as they had last year and and that just was an absolute curveball in terms of uh how this year was going to start out but at the same time I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world you know the MLS season is long it is a grind and for a guy like Michael who's pretty much played soccer every single day of his life for the past I don't know 25 30 years or whatever it is to for him to get a little bit of an extended vacation might not be the worst thing in the world for for some of the younger guys at TFC your Liam Frazier's your Noble Akello's uh, for even Marky Delgado and Jonathan mm-hmm. Osorio to take a more assertive roles in that midfield uh is not the worst thing in the world and and you know, one of the jokes was always that, you know, for Michael to not be in the starting 11, you would pretty much have to injure him. And so, uh, you know, the fact that that he will now miss a couple of months, it might not be the worst thing in the grand scheme of things for the, for the entire team. I think Michael might consider it the worst thing in the world, but... Yeah, um, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I, uh, but uh, you know, I've already, I've already heard some some rumblings that he might be ahead of schedule on on his comeback, which I don't think anyone uh, should be surprised of. But no, yeah, no, it's no. always <laughs> it's it's always tough to uh, you know delve into anything when it when it, it 
deals with injuries, right? Because obviously neither of us are medical experts. And even if we were, um, you know, I, I, th- I think we're, we're certainly not, uh, we don't have the access to, uh, you know, a lot of the scans and, and different things that the Toronto FC's medical team does. So um, it, it being critical of them in, in, you know, by any means uh, from our point of view is would, would be a little ridiculous. But, um, you know, it certainly certainly was a, an interesting uh, start to the off season and and, or, and one that uh, one that I guess will continue to follow. Although it, it does seem like it's it's simmering down at this point, and, and you know maybe just uh, uh, maybe just miscommunication or, or something there other. But uh, Toronto FC, of course, did make three signings this so far this off season. Uh, all are youngsters. Probably unlikely they play a massive role in this upcoming season, but certainly going forward, I think these are these are players that the club is very excited about, and and there's a reason why they signed contracts at such young ages. You know, even even the Toronto FC two contracts um, that uh, Nelson and Jaquil Marshall Ruddy signed last year were were considered exciting. So to have them on first team deals now, I think just shows the level of confidence that the club has. Uh, Rocco Romeo, a, a center back, being signed as well, and and likely one of the best names in Canadian soccer definitely uh, <laughs> definitely stood off the uh, you know jumped off the roster sheet when I first saw his name at the youth level but um, I just wanted your thoughts on all these players maybe we'll start with Jaquiel just because you know he is the youngest signing in Toronto FC history but uh, especially I think him and Nelson I know Romeo's played for Canada a couple of times so fans might know a little bit more about about him but the, the, those are two youngsters who uh, certainly within the club there's all kinds of excitement about them but uh, maybe it uh, you know, you know, there was there was some surprise and and certainly some interest when two players of that age were were signed. Yeah, you know, Jaquil's actually the one that I've seen the least of because uh, you know he only made, as you said, he signed for TFC two last season at the start of the year, and he only made about two or three appearances, and I think mm-hmm. all of them were off the bench, and so we haven't really seen a lot of them and, and to be fair you know he was 14 years old at the time and he's 15 now so so maybe maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves if we expected him to really see a lot of minutes in in that sort of a professional environment but um from all accounts he, he's one of the top prospects in north american soccer in his age group that's sort of the buzz that's going around this kid when i i spoke to vanny about him uh and this is one of the things that i, I particularly like when i about talking to greg vanny is that he's so consistent in what he says about players and so i spoke to him last january when when jaquiel signed for tfc2 and and the uh the 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 substance of his quote was sort of the thing that he loved most about Jaquiel was that for such a young player to have the maturity to to not go out there and showboat and to not go out there and look to make himself the star, but to do everything, to make every right decision for the benefit of your team. And then to be able to walk away from the game and go, that kid was the star of that game, but he didn't make it about himself. And hmm. and Vanny uh, Vanny was interviewed down in Florida about about the the trio of academy signings, and and he basically reiterated that exact, that exact same point, almost word for word for the conversation that we had a year earlier. And so, I think as you said, the likelihood that Jaquil is going to see a lot of minutes with with TFC this season is. Uh, it's highly unlikely. I expect to see a lot more of them down with TFC two and build them up to this. And there's a part of me that can't help but think that that you know signing him to a first team contract now was was a measure of 
of confidence in the progress that they've seen in the kid from uh, from the academy youth level through the USSDA uh, system up through up through TFC two and and in a way it's it's protecting your investment. You know, word was that there mm-hmm. were some European teams sort of sniffing around this kid and. And so, uh, you know, if, if he's in your system and, and you think he's got what it takes to make it, then uh, then you find a spot for him on your team. Yeah, certainly. And and like you said, just, just so much excitement around, um, you know, the fact that uh, I think this this is a priority now for Toronto FC and, and Ali Curtis wants to make sure that uh, these young players have a clear pathway to the first team and and eventually you know it's it's been tough in recent years certainly with Toronto FC being a consistent contender and and the the, the amount of veterans they have in their lineup but uh, that eventually these guys do end up getting opportunities of the first team and you mentioned Frazier as a guy who uh, has come all the way through the system or, or at least the, the latter half I know he's with Vancouver for a bit but uh, now has a chance to to play for the senior team so um, yeah, that's it's pretty exciting, and and certainly you know in in an off season where uh, things have been somewhat quiet for Toronto FC in terms of overall player signings, uh, that's a that's a bright point. Uh, but I did want to finish up. Uh, there's there's been a couple of departures for Toronto FC, but I think in terms of the the history of the club, there's probably none felt more heavily than Ashton Morgan, who'll be leaving the club for RSL. Uh, certainly a move that makes sense. You know, he, he hasn't played a ton of time for Toronto FC in recent years, and uh, a number of players have emerged from uh, both the academy side of things and, you know, the first team certainly that have uh, taken away minutes from him. But, um, you know, he appeared for Toronto FC in 10 seasons, fourth all-time in terms of games played for the club, and uh, Martin Bailey has, has a bunch more stats compiled on him over at Waking the Red. Um, but, you know, certainly... A player that's especially off the field, I think, um, you know, you talk to, to players all over the club and and especially young Canadian players. This was a guy who um, was so important to the squad and, and had such a influence on the culture of the team. And, um, you know, I guess integrating players into the city of Toronto, just a, a really well-liked guy and, and certainly um, something that reflected any time uh, I had the opportunity to talk to him uh, as a Toronto FC player. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird going into a TFC season and, and not seeing Ashton Morgan around the place. Uh, he was such a fixture for so many years. And as you said, he's uh, in a way he, he became the soul of that team and the connection to to the city and to the past. And, you know, TFC of, of 2017 through 2020 or 2016, wherever you want to set this current era as beginning, doesn't really have a lot in common with with the TFC teams of 2011 and 2012. When you know when Danny Kuvermans was making his comments about the worst team in the world, and when, you know Aaron Winter was getting off to a rough start, and and it's always nice to have those sort of ties between between your past and your present to have the things that that add some continuity as a team goes through uh goes through the evolutions that a new club is is going to go through you know um i i don't quite know how to encapsulate what it was that ash meant to this team because as as you said he he didn't see a lot of minutes he he wasn't really um a factor on the field as much as you you may have wanted him to be that said you know when he did get his chance he was more than an adequate backup for Justin Morrow and, and he scored some pretty crucial goals over his time here there's one in the Champions League that I remember quite fondly um, and yeah it's just going to be so weird not seeing him not seeing him 
in TFC Red this year, and, and I'm sure he's already got June 27th circled on his calendar. That's when Salt Lake makes their return to uh, to BMO Field this year, and I'm I'm sure it's going to be a pretty special day for all people involved. Uh, saying all of that, though, there's a part of me that's that's excited for Ash, and that mm-hmm. you know, as much as he's been a, a pivotal figure in the culture of this club. It's, it's the only professional environment that he's ever known. And so to see him go somewhere else and sort of, you know, not not just be that sort of background guy, but to, to really be a player and, and to really be out there competing for minutes. I'm excited to see sort of what the, what he does with this opportunity and what's out there for him. I, I'm a little disappointed that it looks like Jao Plata will not be back. It looks like Luis Silva will not be there. So we're not going to get the full <laughs> TFC 2011 experience. But it turns out our old friend Tyrone Marshall, a defender wow. for TFC back in the day, is on the coaching staff there at Salt Lake. So, uh, you know, I'm sure Ash has at least one or two friends out there but it's one of those it's one of those bittersweet moments in professional sports where uh where same same with christine sinclair as as we're celebrating her reaching this record we're we're wondering how much longer it is we're going to be able to watch her scoring goals so it goes with ash where you know you say goodbye to a big piece of of the club's history but you're also excited to see what this next chapter brings for him yeah certainly i think that goes with with a lot of Toronto FC players that have moved out, you know, in the past couple of years. You know, your Jay Chapman, your Jordan Hamilton, um, players that I guess we've seen glimpses of of the talent that they have, and um, you know, now they have an opportunity um, to, to to go show their abilities on a place that is maybe more conducive to playing time for them. So yeah, I'm certainly excited for for Morgan in that sense, and uh, the opportunity that that maybe he'll get in, in Salt Lake to you know break through. Uh, breakthrough there and and a player who has always shown he's been up to the level for Toronto FC so um, you know pretty interested to see what he'll be able to do out there in a new environment Um, but we'll wrap up the show there Uh, probably a number of more things that will break over over the next couple of weeks so we should be back in in short order on the show but James it's it's always a pleasure to have you on on and uh, talk about a number of Canadian soccer topics. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Anytime, anytime. And uh, hopefully next time my computer will not be buzzing so frantically. <laughs> yeah, we we had uh, some, some interesting uh, technical difficulties in, in trying to set up the show, but uh, thankfully we were able to bring it to you. And, uh, of course, we hope to see a number of you out February 6th at the Rivoli in Toronto. Luke Wilman, Christian Jack, Stephen Caldwell, Carmelina Moscato, Oliver Platt, Josh Cloak, Asaraman, Laura Armstrong. Potentially more to be announced soon. Head over to homestandsports.com slash events for tickets. And have a good week, everyone.